Welcome to the LNT Chat Show, and today I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Johanna Payton. Uh, Johanna, would you like to uh, tell the listeners something about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'm um, a lecturer in journalism at City University of London, and I worked as a freelance journalist for, oh gosh, um, over 25 years now and started teaching in 2011 um, after having um, a really interesting career as a freelance journalist, which involved a lot of blogging and sort of um, social media. I think I had my first blog way back in 2003, um, before a lot of my current students were actually born. Um, oh, so wow. I've been kind of using that sort of technology um, and using social media for a long time. And when I came into um, education, it really was about um, the institution that I worked in originally. We're really looking for journalists who had that knowledge of blogging and different kinds of um, storytelling, I guess. Um, so, um, yes, yeah, so I've been working in um, higher education since then and I'm currently working full time at the university and I'm also um, studying on a PhD as well, um, which is looking at creativity and journalism education. Excellent. Uh, well, good luck with the PhD. So, so um, clearly the thing that we're going to be talking today uh, about is creativity and, and that's obviously a focus for you. So. Um, what what was the sort of driving force after you'd started uh, teaching that made you interested in that particular area was it was it something that developed organically or did you did you see or read something um you know what is the transition into suddenly or not suddenly but thinking about oh creativity that's that's sort of something which is going to help me and, and move the teaching forward it was a really interesting experience, I think. I think when I first started teaching um, and I would you know, come straight from the industry and I was always very um, interested and involved in fashion journalism, lifestyle journalism, travel, health, people's lives. And um, to me, creativity, there's always a conflation between creativity and the arts. And to me, creativity wasn't just about um, being artistic. It was about being flexible, being brave, taking risks, really about humanity. I, I see creativity as this human sort of fundamental skill that we have that separates us from, from other animals. Um, and so when I went into a journalism classroom, I was just immediately struck by how sterile it was. Right down, you know, anybody who's been a visiting lecturer knows that, you know, you come into campus and you just get put into a room, some random room that has absolutely no character, no personality with bare mm. walls. And, you know, these kind of wide eyed students looking at you for inspiration. And I was hired originally as a, as a fashion journalism tutor. And I was just so kind of surprised by the, the huge gulf between what I'd experienced in the industry as a practicing kind of lifestyle journalist and then this environment I was in with students in a classroom and my kind of I guess at first it was an instinct my instinct is I need to get them out of here I need to get them out of this classroom and out into the world they need to experience fashion journalism by going to catwalks by walking around Topshop or whatever the retailer was at the time, you know, actually by getting their hands on clothes, can we collaborate with the fashion students who are learning to be designers in a different part of the university? So these were all kind of instinctive things. And I guess I was struck as well as soon as I started to have these ideas and started talking to colleagues about them by how unusual this seemed. 
and how even, you know, other journalism lecturers were in quite a traditional mindset, I guess, in terms of higher education about the confines of the classroom and about assessment and how we should be doing things in a very kind of um, structured way, which I absolutely see the value of. But at the same time, I was really curious, like, how can we do this more creatively? Mm. And I guess that led to me um, doing a master's in learning and teaching in higher education. And when I did that, I kind of started to specialise in in creativity. I was very lucky that my professor, when I did the master's, um, Professor Digby Warren, was really interested in creativity, had a huge interest in it and playful learning and mindfulness and learning and kind of, you know, thinking about soul education, thinking about, you know, who our students were, what their ambitious ambitions are and what they really want out of life and really tapping into that, which was just absolute for me, it was music to my ears because this is like this is what creativity is to me. So working with them, um, Professor Warren and doing my master's, that really kind of then sent me on this track where I was like a woman on a mission. I really want to improve the experience for the students that I'm teaching and give them more creativity. And 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 then it was a case of how can I do that? And the more I kind of looked into it, I discovered people like um, Chrissy Narancy and Alison James, who've right. done some amazing work around um, playful learning. And I was like, wow, there's this whole community. And I met um, Professor Norman Jackson, who I've, I've worked with a fair bit, who was doing um, the magazine Creative Academic. He asked me to get more involved in that. And I was just delighted that because at first I felt like, am I the only person? Am I doing something wrong? Is this not what higher education is about? And as soon as I tapped into this community of people, I was like, OK, here we go. This is, you know, this is something that's happening. It's growing and something that I can bring to my students. Excellent. Uh, a couple of points, actually. Uh, number one, your description of walking into that classroom resonates completely with me in that um, I, th I think for lots of business students, they they sit in a classroom which which really could be anywhere. You know, it's just it's just tables and chairs. They don't have, uh, apart from maybe access to computer labs, access to the the same kind of um, materials and equipment and specialist rooms that lots and lots of other students do that give them maybe that extra sense of um, identity. Um, and and you're right if you're stuck inside those four walls, particularly because many courses are taught to a book. Um, for you know, often quite pragmatic reasons, but I, I, I think again that that structure really doesn't allow people uh, necessarily to express themselves. Um, and I'm I'm really interested in where you're going to go with the creativity part. Alison was actually on uh, the podcast uh, a few months ago, um, and uh, I, I attend quite a few events with Alison um, and uh, Christine. Christine, I can't remember which now. Um, have have organised um, and for a couple of years now. In fact, last year for the first time in person, I was at the Playful Learning Association conference in um, in Leicester in July, and hopefully I'm I'm going again this year. So I think one of the things that's nice, and and hopefully one of the things that comes out of at least some of these podcasts, is that opportunity to actually hear what people are doing um, in different disciplines. But looking at the the basic principles that they're using and and you know seeing how those transfer. So so clearly you know you've identified that there's a, an issue and 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 creativity and playful learning is is something which you're interested in and has inspired you. And interesting that uh, you covered that out of your uh, masters and now into your your PhD. So what were the first kind of things then that you experimented with in in the classroom or indeed 
you know, taking the students out of the classroom? I think some of the first things that I did were around the kind of the fashion journalism um, modules that I was teaching. So we do things like I um, would get the students to all bring in old clothes. There was a real kind of trend at the time for what was called the swish. And the idea was that I used to do it with my girlfriends. Everyone would bring, you know, um, old clothes that they weren't wearing anymore, but they didn't necessarily um, want to give to charity. They didn't want to sell them. So then you'd have like a party and you'd all put the clothes together and people would take take what they wanted and you might do it, you know, raise some money for charity. And I love this idea and this concept of um, one woman's trash is another woman's treasure. I, I just love that idea. And I thought the students were like this. So it started with things like I'd ask them to bring old clothes and then we'd style them so we'd see what we could do. And sustainability is a really important thing for me anyway and particularly in fashion so this was a great way of starting to introduce the students to the idea that you know you don't need to go to a high street fast fashion retailer you can make outfits that look high fashion out of anything and actually getting them to you know do the real work with the real clothes and then I do things like um, I decided oh we could do a really nice session around creating content for social media um, by actually using children's jewellery making sets, which are really affordable, um, and we could make little bracelets and we could make um, jewel like necklaces and rings and stuff, and then we could tell stories with them and, and take pictures in the classroom. And one thing that I realised through doing these kind of exercises as well was that it really helped in terms of the trust in the classroom. And for me, again, part of creativity, I think a fundamental part of it is about trust and collaboration and trying to create an environment where the students feel that they can relax a bit. You know, it's not just about sitting behind a desk and listening yeah. and, it, and sort of, you know, absorbing knowledge and then regurgitating it, the whole kind of concept of educational bulimia, um, which is not my term, but it's from a great paper by Lee et al. Um, I just love that idea because as a personally as a learner that's not how I've ever learned I have to do I have to actually get hands-on so we do stuff like the jewellery making and and it gave students something to take away I remember one of the students told me you know she'd been on a journalism degree for three years and the one thing that she kept in her bedroom was the necklace that she made in our jewellery making class and she'd hung it on her mirror in her bedroom as a way of she said every time I looked at it I thought about what I'd learned and I thought about the friends that I've made and I thought that is a beautiful thing and the kind of thing that I think most of us involved in higher education would want our students to have these I think transformative is too big a word but just experiences that just stay with you and actually um, you know of kind of a, a milestone in your learning that you're doing something that you you really enjoy and that as well for me was part of these exercises is trying to give people a real sense of what it's like to be a journalist because journalists in the 21st century they do create content it's not just a case of going out and reporting on what's happening in the news they are now there's a pressure that you have to kind of create the news you have to create trends you have to um, be very visual in the way that you work so these kind of things these exercises were helping with that and then that moved on to then role play as well so we'd use quite a lot of role play in the classroom an example would be I'd get the students to one would be a fashion journalist one would be a fashion designer and one would be a PR and they'd have um, you know the, the journalist would interview the designer and the PR would have an agenda and they'd be trying to kind of interject and stop the journalists from doing their right. job. 
And again, it was really fun. And the students would, I'd get them to invent the characters before the session. So sometimes they'd come dressed up as a fashion designer. So it was uh -huh. a really, really fun thing, very playful, but it taught them a really important lesson. You know, the kind of, these are the scenarios that you're gonna encounter as a journalist. And this is how you might try and work around them. And it's also a kind of lesson around how PRs do their job, how they work, what their kind of remit is. So it was all grounded in practice, in the industry. Lots of learning outcomes were kind of being fulfilled, but just doing it in a really fun and, and creative way. I mean, were the students quite happy to engage? One, one of um, my concerns where I'm asking students to, to maybe bring in materials is that either some of them won't want to, some of them will just genuinely forget and that, that you then don't necessarily have everything that you need. I mean, I always have a, a plan B in those instances. And the same thing really with role play. My, my concern about doing role play would be more about either students feeling sort of pressured into, into having to participate or those students, um, and and again, you know, we, we have numbers of students, including neurodiverse students, where you, you're kind of having to almost second guess yourself and think, well, I, I want students to all work together because I think, you know, that's one of the most brilliant ways of learning, but at the same time, acknowledging that there will be some students who for various different reasons are not comfortable in, in that kind of setting. Do any of those things, you know, have you experienced any of those things? Did, were there things that you then had to work out how to address in, in the classroom? Absolutely. And I think um, the first sort of research project that I did as part of my um, MA was around um, this idea of mindful play. Because I had this idea that you can't go straight into role play in week one for all those reasons. The students don't trust each other enough. They don't trust you enough. And some of them have got, you know, they're carrying all kinds of baggage. There could be all sorts of reasons that they might not want to engage in that kind of activity and so my idea was that we'd build up to it slowly so we'd start with the the little exercises um very low stakes no kind of performing in front of each other or anything like that it was more and I think the sort of dialogic learning that was going on with the um like the jewelry making for example it was more about the conversations they were having while they were making the jewelry than right. the actual content they were creating and that was building trust but for example, I encountered a student when we were doing the mindfulness. At first, I would actually do like a breathing exercise or something to just sort of get them present and in the room. And actually, one of the students um, at my former institution, she just walked out of the room because for whatever reason, and, you know, it could be for so many reasons that doing an exercise like that was triggering for her. It made her feel uncomfortable and she had to leave. And I think you have to be mindful yourself as an educator that what might seem completely low stakes and might seem like it's just fun for some students could be a, an incredible challenge actually and not mm. something that they want to want to um, get involved in so I, I you know now I always kind of really make sure to um, try different things with them um, find out if people are uncomfortable with certain things in a very discreet way before we start doing these exercises um, and definitely building up to the bigger stuff so building up to the in my um, so now I'm at City I teach an arts and culture journalism module and in that one at one point I get them to actually create a piece of art so they can experience what it's like to be critiqued um, 
I would never do that in week one. You know, there's no way that <laughs> your students coming in with their beautifully painted pictures or little sculptures or a piece of music they've written and get absolutely slated by one of their peers. Yeah. You know, so it's it's a case of timing it and being very careful and listening to what the students want. And every group is different. There's a different dynamic. So now I have a kind of a, an archive of activities that I can bring out when it feels like this particular group is ready for this. Um, so I think, and you know, it's being flexible around the sort of the curriculum and around what you've, you know, I think to do stuff like this, you have to be willing to change things at the last minute and respond to the students and, and what they need at the time. And when you say that they're they're creating things outside of the classroom, is is that they're going home and, and they're creating with whatever materials they have to hand? Or do you bring materials into the classroom and get them to do those kinds of creative activities in the class as well? Yeah, it's both actually. So I've been so lucky at City because um, we um, I, I got a little pot of money um, and everyone in the department is really, really interested in, in creative learning. And so we've got a creativity cupboard, which I am right. very proud of that I kind of, you know, can invite colleagues to dip into. And in there we've got some resources, which is fantastic from actual kind of board games that we use. So we've used recently, we've been using Boggle. I don't know if you've ever played Boggle, yes, the one yes, game. Yes. We use that as a great tool for teaching um, journalism students about search engine optimization, about using keywords in um, articles, because you can kind of get them to do a few rounds of boggle and all the words they found, they then have to put into an article about a recent news event. So that's really fun. So we've got this cupboard that is packed full of resources. And I think that was something that I learned in my previous institution. There wasn't really that. And I, I always had this idea I wish we had a fashion room or some kind of, um, you know, resource that we could dip into because it is scary as well when you ask students to bring things in. There's that fear. Is this going to work? Are they going to do stuff? Um, what I found is there's usually enough students to make it work and I'll bring back up stuff as well. I think you're absolutely right. Having a plan B is essential. But I think as I kind of have, have gone deeper into this, my sense is things like the creativity cupboard might seem a bit silly or, or flippant, but it's about culture. It's about mm. culture across a department and potentially across a school or across a university. And the more resources we have and the more encouragement there is within the kind of um, the attitudes of, of colleagues and the way that we encourage each other to be creative, because I think we need permission as well. We We can give the students permission in a classroom to be creative and they you know will really go for it but we need to give each other permission as well because I still think there's a stigma and I think I think there's still you can have you know colleagues who are doing things in a classroom and feeling should I be doing this is this mm. teaching I'm not stood at the front anymore with a powerpoint presentation telling the students things is you know if I sit them in a circle and we make something together is that still teaching is that still what's yeah. happening and so I think that kind of um culture shift in a, in a in an environment is really important as well and and sometimes those physical things like a creativity center or or cupboard or whatever you want to call it is a signal saying hey you know this is a a, a group of people who are willing to be creative and to experiment with the students and be playful and I think that's really important okay um I, I guess within my own little sphere I am a very small cog in a very large machine um to a certain extent I am the creativity cupboard uh simply because 
uh, I've acquired, sometimes it's been departmental money, sometimes it's my own money, um, a, a range of things like uh, Lego is the most obvious one because it's it's got a huge amount of flexibility in it. Um, but I've also been working with, with colleagues and I think you're right about that idea of giving people the confidence to work with stuff. So um, I produce amongst other things, various different types of card games, often very, very simple ones using relatively limited packs. But if you're able to give a colleague, you know, a pack, pack of cards to teach a particular aspect of what they're doing, they give the cards out and the students are starting to, to play with it. And much like the point you made earlier about you know wanting students to do rather than just sit and either listen or you know even even sometimes just the the talking part um and i think making things more more tactile is quite a good way to go with that just as, as a matter of interest because you mentioned uh, some of the creative resources that you're using for my advertising students in order to actually get them to uh, start to understand how to tell stories. I use the cards from a board game called Dixit, D-I-X-I-T, and they're actually, they're sets of illustrations and they're quite surreal. Sometimes they're quite simple, sometimes they're quite complex, but they're things about which you can then create dozens and dozens of different stories. And it's quite a nice starting point for students. And the idea for that came from something that I was introduced to years ago, where as an icebreaker, the person who was running it had over a period of time collected where it was almost hundreds of postcards and just invited us to uh, select a postcard that sort of appealed to us and then to link it somehow to an aspect of ourselves. And I think that idea of um, physically creating something which you can then talk about because that thing exists as opposed to necessarily having to sort of talk about yourself just with words. So I get the impression that the students have enjoyed it and, and much like you, I've also had colleagues who've said, well, I'm not there to entertain them. I don't see why I should have to do all this fancy stuff. You know, I'm much more comfortable with just a, a PowerPoint and, you know, the stuff that I know. Are there particular things that have either worked especially well or things where maybe didn't work, but you then reflected on why it didn't and have changed something since? I'm interested in, 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 sort of more specifically in the in the activities and techniques that you're using. Yeah, I mean, I think there's always um, nearly every time I use anything, I think, I, you know, oh, that was good. But next time I'm going to do it like, you know, to change things up quite a lot. And as I said, I think there's something to be said as well for kind of taking quite a bespoke approach to this and, and different groups need different things. I tried a um, I bought a logo game because um, I thought, oh, that'd be great. I teach a module at City in magazine branding, concept and design, which is a brilliant module. The students literally concept from nothing, a brand new magazine, and then spend the entire academic year working on it until they produce a print magazine at the end. And I thought, oh, to start them thinking about the concept of branding, they've never, obviously it's more of a marketing thing. They've never really done this before on the course. What could I use? And I got bought this logo game. And um, I sort of looked at it and I read the instructions like this isn't going to really work. I'm not sure that they'll kind of um, have the patience or that how much will they enjoy this game. But then I thought, but now I've got this kind of ready made sort of pack of cards that's got all these logos on them. So I decided to try. It was a little bit of a um, spontaneous thing, but I, I basically went around the room, put them in teams and I showed them the cards, covered up what it was. And it, what I loved about this is they thought this is too easy. So it's things like, you know, Instagram logo, mm. the Reddit logo, um, Adidas, 
Um, what else did we have? Facebook, really obvious things. And they were all, you know, this this old lady with a light logo card <laughs> thinking, thinking she's trendy. And they're all kind of writing down their answers. Then I said to them, I put the cards away and I said, right, what did you get for number one? Instagram. OK, now I'd like you to draw the logo. And that's where it got interesting because I'd given them coloured pencils and paper. And then they were like, OK, this logo that we recognised in a second, how well can we reproduce it? And obviously some of them, it was absolutely perfect the way that they got them. Others kind of struggled a bit more. And, you know, with the different brands, it taught them such a brilliant lesson about, you know, what makes a brand a logo instantly recognisable. And because they do design on this course, there is an artistic kind of element. And it was a brilliant starting point because it also, working in teams, they realised how well they could draw a little picture as well. And sometimes that, you know, lack of confidence in anything artistic is is really present with students. So that was great. And that was, you know, yeah, I'd, I'd not bought the cards for that purpose. But I could see as soon as I looked at the game and the instructions, that's not going to work. I need to do something different. And I've done stuff as well. I've done um, collaging with them where they just have made something that, doesn't really mean anything but they've I've said to them you know could you do a collage that says what how you see women in fashion in 2022 or whatever and actually what they've come up with they couldn't quite find the right things in the magazines that were there but they've had a good time doing the exercise and I think well next time I do this actually I'm going to try and curate the magazines first mm. so that the, the magazines that the resources are kind of you know more suited to the topic and I think the biggest lesson that came out of particularly through the um, the research I did on my master's and, and that I'm now kind of expanding on really in the, in the PhD is that students need um, in journalism anyway, they need to see the link. They need, you need to be quite explicit. I think there's when I started out, I had this idea almost. So I was being like um, a magician. I was kind of bringing these activities to them. I was going to reveal at the end why they'd been doing it or something. Right. And I realised, scrap that. Tell them right from the start why we're doing this. Because they're going to be sceptical. Obviously, they are. If I think, you know, we've all been in situations where you go on a, a, you know, an away day or whatever, and you have to do a bonding activity. And there's always eye rolling, you know, so some people never want to do that kind of thing. And it's the same in the classroom. So I think just actually laying it out for the students before we start and say, right, we're going to do... Um, this exercise and the reason we're doing this is because I want you to start getting your head around what a logo is and what branding means just so they can see that there is you know a really clear correlation between the activity we're doing and why we're doing it. And, and there are ever times when you really want to find an activity that they can do in order to to make a point but you struggle to find something to fit in. Yeah all the time all the time I think although I guess what I'm maybe this is more of a personal thing I guess I'm I'm an ideas person that's why I guess I've always been drawn to, to creativity and 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 see myself as a creative person because I love coming up with ideas so I guess when I can see a problem when I can see oh, okay there's something I want the students to learn here how can I make it happen if something doesn't exist I'll invent it I'll, I'll make something, even if it's very kind of, you know, rudimentary. I was talking to a colleague just a couple of weeks ago and she told me about a vocabulary game that she'd been playing with her students. I think she was in the um, in the English department. And um, 
I was like, oh, I'm going to steal this, but I don't have the, you know, the specific game or tools and I want to do this exercise next week. So I just made a, a box and the idea was I got them to all write down their favourite fashion word and sort of thinking about fashion vocabulary and then they all put it in the box I gave the box a good shake and then right. we passed the box around again they all picked one at random so they all had somebody else's word and then I got them to do a, a little a fashion tweet using the word so you know there's always I always think if, if there's something that's needed I can just make it I'll just create it myself and I guess that's part of for me that's part of being a creative practitioner is you've got to take risks yourself and you've yeah. got to be prepared to be creative in order to make it happen yeah i mean uh I've, I've similar experience because i was introduced at a conference to um it's a set of cards and they are to help you tell stories so there's some some characters there's some situations and there's some uh locations and there's some actions and you just select one from each and then you have to create a story and then you you meld those stories together um and i managed to track it down but apart from being quite expensive it was also only available in the in the state so it was going to take some time to arrive and i must confess the one thing that i didn't think to do would be to actually get the students to generate themselves and then obviously just swap them about so i, I shall um yeah i shall put that one away and, and use that uh, again so the next stage for you how far into your phd are you at the moment so i'm in the field research stage so i'm right. a couple of years in doing it part-time and at the moment um Again, for me, it was all about being creative with the way that I approached the research. And I actually, um, my vision was I wanted, because I'm looking at kind of, you know, whether um, journalism and education is creative enough and how creative the journalism industry is and is going to be in the next kind of 10, 20 years. And in order to ask sort of early career journalists about the industry that they're in and where they think it's going I wanted them to create a future journalist and the idea that popped into my head straight away was the idea of you know when um you were a kid and they used to have like these cut out dolls so it was like a paper yes. doll and then yeah, you yeah, used to yeah. dress it in different clothes yeah and I thought I'd love to have them do that but this was in the pandemic so I was like how can I do this in a digital way and I managed to find this um thing called character creator which has been um designed by this guy in Canada and it just so happened that he had a Patreon and he was up for collaborations I was like fantastic I managed to get a little grant um, and approached him and he designed me a version of the character creator that journalists could dress up so we and luckily my husband's an artist so he um, did some illustrations for me of like a right journalism accessories a dictaphone and a microphone boom and things like that and um, and so I'm actually at the stage where I'm getting early career journalists to play with this tool because again I was like I don't want to research creativity and education and journalism by just getting people to fill in a questionnaire right because that just felt incongruous as I want to do something that is a creative activity in itself and asking them how they felt about doing the activity. So that's what's happening right now. Um, I'm in the in the middle of doing that. And it's it's again, it's it's just so much fun. And actually, I'm already finding a lot of the um respondents really put themselves into the picture. They can really, they're thinking of this future journalist as being 
them when they kind of, you know, in 10 years time, which is really interesting. And this is early career journalists, not specifically journalism students. Yeah, so it's um, I'm talking to people in the first five to ten years of their of their career. I mean, now most of them have been to university and done um journal or done some kind of journalism training, but right. really it's to just kind of find out about the industry that they're working in and where they think it's going. There are a lot more questions I I, I would love to ask if we had more time because uh, I, I'm really interested in. Uh, sort of the the practical things that you've done but if if someone was listening and thought you know what yeah I I want to try and introduce a, a bit more creativity are, are there any uh, specific tips that you can give them right from, from the beginning I mean I did think you made a good point about you know be explicit about why we're doing what we do because otherwise you will get students you know resistant because they can't see the the point but are there are there any other tips that you could give my biggest tip would be to get involved in some kind of community and if it doesn't already exist in your institution then start it I think um, we are now at City we have regular kind of sharing sessions or magpie sessions where we all steal each other's ideas and I think if they if those sessions are multidisciplinary all the better because what I would first encounter when I started all this or you know colleagues would say to me it's okay for you because you're teaching fashion journalism, but I'm doing, you know, investigative journalism or humanitarian reporting. How am I going to be able to make jewellery? Like, that's not going to work for me. And I think actually, you know, creative exercises can be invented for any kind of subject, whatever you're teaching. And I've some of the most creative people that I've met have been educators who are working in law and maths and sciences you know, escape rooms to help people, you know, like get their heads around experimentation techniques and all sorts of things. So there's there's lots going on out there. And I think if you can connect with the colleagues wherever you are who are interested in this, who because even just sitting around a table and brainstorming ideas, you walk out of every session like that with a little, you know, book full of or a back pocket full of, oh, yeah, I could use this. I could adapt this. And yeah. um, so I, I, for me, I think that is the most important thing to do. If you can set up a community of practice wherever you are and start sharing ideas, you would just overflow with things that you can do. There won't be enough time to do it all within a, a module. But I think that's that's the biggest piece of advice I could give. OK, uh, Johanna. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, uh, hopefully, I may be able to persuade you to come back for series three and uh, we can maybe talk about this uh, a bit longer. But uh, for today, thank you so much for your time. My absolute pleasure. Thank you.